0: Good people and fellow students, welcome to another episode of All That Yes. Today's guest is what I like to call floral royalty. Her reign and content began when she was just 19 years old. You know how the average 19 year old is either in varsity or trying to figure their life out? This one had already started her producing journey on a beloved SABC show called Spirit Sundays, And since then she has become a queen of formats within the world of television with a slew of tremendous shows under her belt. I'm talking real talk. Crazy, wtf to me and trending essay to name a few her love for formats has also seen her produce live concerts award shows and digital festivals known for her signature extravaganza laganza this person bizarre! is a premier <laughs> content producer and has been and has been so for over a decade i met her at a credible dreamers wanted tournament years ago and we've been friends ever since i'm excited to have her on because she's a force of nature and a wealth of knowledge i am talking about the C V, the black rose how are you doing
1: ah not even one petal is out of place yes why do you like romancing me like this oh my god i swear if i saw myself through your eyes i would be fucking do we even swear in this podcast or what?
0: It's a podcast. All I need to do is then just say explicit. That's <laughs> literally all I need to do. So you've sworn and it oh, it's explicit.
1: Oh my God. I love that intro on my shows. I am so anal about how my Colin producers write guest intros. It's one of my favorite things ever because I just always feel like you set a tone with intro links to interviews that like for the time the guest says, hi they are already feeling so seen and they know why they are here you know yes yeah (laughs) i was never on the other side of it though thank you so much how are you doing though how is this day going for you i am fantastic today was a little bit hectic at work i was even late for this podcast but yes i'm not gonna tell you guys that because i'm (laughs) the royale and also I was so anxious hey like when you come to all the years like you need to
0: hold the space hey wait what do you mean not everyone (laughs) let me understand what you mean but not everyone comes here
1: no like seriously you need to know have you seen your guests before like your calendar what
0: and have you seen your resume ma'am
1: I mean It is a validation and reassurance that I am invited here.
0: Let's start at the beginning. What got you into the world of content? What were some of your favorite shows like growing up?
1: It's so funny because when we were doing that link and we were talking about how I've been doing this since I was 19, it brought me back to like when I was growing up. Content creation, just like the world of imagination and storytelling found me because I grew up in a very small village in Eastern Cape. I was very understimulated. There was no electricity. We did not have a television. The first time I actually watched TV was when I was 13 or 14 when it was switched on and there were actually people talking because at home it was just like on a display. The room divided that we see in black home. And because we didn't have electricity and we didn't have generators, it was never on. So the only stimulation that I had when I was growing up was my grandfather's small radio where we would listen to (laughs) from like seven o'clock in the morning up until 10 o'clock at night. But because I grew up in a family of teachers, my grandfather was a teacher, my mom was a teacher as well. There was always a bookshelf at home that they used to fill up with books. But also my mom and my grandfather used to buy magazines on a daily basis. like we had them all. Ah. We had True Love, we had Drama Magazine, we had Warner Magazine, Pace Magazine, Move, You Magazine, like I read them all. And I think that's where my love for the industry itself started because I used to like read all of those things and like imagine Beck, imagine the industry. At some point, I even wanted to come and study in Beck at the National School of Arts. But obviously, my mom in was like, what? You're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was always so intrigued. I thought I was going to be a magazine editor. I thought I was going to work in the publishing world. Around grade seven, grade eight, every project that we get for arts and culture, I would always do my own version of my own magazine from the editor's note in the beginning up until the short stories on drama magazine. You know those short stories? The short stories that they would write, get people to write in. I would recreate all of those up until the entertainment section of the magazine and the letters Ask, no. doctor, sex person. So I think all of that imagination has led me here. Like the word manifestation is a buzzword, but like back then I didn't have the vocabulary for it. But when I think back, it's all my imagination that brought me here. I literally manifested and imagined everything that is happening right now. And sometimes it just blows me away.
0: It's fascinating that you're talking about all of these like magazines, because even a lot of the stuff that you've gravitated towards in your television career has been magazine shows in terms of... Yeah.
1: Yes. I And it's so crazy because it's all imagination. My imagination got sharpened throughout those years when I was young and I was stuck at home in between those four mountains. In fact, this week I was writing my own tribute about Sis Kuli Roberts and I was just sharing about how when I worked for Trading Essay and I got to work with her and experience her, my younger me could not believe it. Like it was a pinch me moment for real to see her because those were the people that I used to like read about or read their works. Back, 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 back in my informative years and just be like, oh my God, I wanted it to do this.
0: So then, what were the steps that then went from imagination to Spirit Sunday at 19?
1: By the time I got to high school, all my teachers, my family members, everyone knew and everyone was pushing me and supporting me to study anything that has got to do with communications. My grandfather thought I was going to be an actress, which was weird because I never had that in me. But he used to love watching Sonia Bello on Generations as Ndombi, just like how she used to speak the English and how fiery she was, the space of Ezweni generations he just used to imagine me there so by the time I was in high school everyone just knew that we have to get her extra English classes any tools that she can get to sharpen her English because she's going to be a journalist so it wasn't a difficult career choice because I knew that I was going to be a journalist I registered at NMMU which is now Nelson Mandela University in PE at that time the big dream was to be a journalist a writer journalist At the time, I was also obsessed with Deborah Patel, which was a this investigative journalist who had a show on ETV, and I could see myself going beyond being a journalist. We're going to put politicians into like account and like, we're going to expose people, you know. <laughs> so like that was my whole thing going into journalism school with the mouthpiece of the voiceless until my second year i almost said i fell in love with my tv practice lecturer she was already a journalist who was working on the field instead she used to fly in and out of europe and pe to just come do our classes her experiences about tv and making tv they were just so amazing the passion that she was demonstrating as well was it was just so intriguing to me but also i realized i really enjoyed the process of like coming up with a story and packaging it and it was that very year that i accidentally bumped into a show called the late night with Homuto. It was on SABC2. And it was a hybrid of talk and game. I had never seen anything like that. The proximity of it all was just mind-blowing to me. And I fell in love immediately. And from then onwards, I was just like, TV practice and broadcasting is going to be my major. I was that girl who was always with tripod and cameras on canvas. I really could just imagine myself in Jobek specifically. It's so important for me to always mention Jobek because I just always knew that I was going to end up in the entertainment industry in Jobek At some point, we ran out of funds at home. My mom could not pay for both my sister and I to be in varsity. So I said, you know what? I'll give my sister a chance to go to school. And I moved myself to Joburg. And after three months of looking for internship, a guy by the name of Shabishake responded and gave me a job. As an intern at first, but it didn't take me long enough. In less than a year, I was already part of the creative team. So that's how it really happened, really.
0: Even in the way that you're talking, you can feel the passion of how it was through that. But I need to understand something about you because you have a love for live TV. So I just need to understand, are you an adrenaline junkie? Because me, I I don't get it. I definitely
1: (laughs) am not. uh, Why are you lying to me?
0: Because uh, you cannot, you cannot love live TV the way you do and not be an adrenaline junkie.
1: Here yeah, it is. Like I would never even jump off a plane. I remember when I used to produce Crazy, Crazy was a youth-oriented show because I was also young myself. I think I was about 23 when I produced Crazy. It was so easy for us to do a lot of things that involved me as a producer and other producers that we were working with. It was sort of like that extension of on-air and behind-the-scenes talent coming to me. So we do these challenges where maybe I take my presenters to like Sun City and do like a challenge there. And sometimes they would even dare me to do stuff. And I would literally be doing those stuff just because of TV, but I would be dying. And once I left crazy, I was like, I will never, ever, ever do anything that is like adventurous and stuff because I am a very anxious person. I've always struggled with anxiety all my life. Anything that is like too adrenaline driven is not for me because I'll pass out. But like, it's different with live TV. I actually feel that whenever I do a pre-shot assets, I feel like it slows me down.
0: So then what's the magic in life for you?
1: it is what we spoke about earlier on the idea of starting something from nothingness and you see it coming into life and for me i think where the magic is is when all of these elements come together from like the sound design to music design to like the content to the creative elements that we use to drive the content seeing it come all together in one second meaning when we meet in that second everyone needs to put in their contribution and they meet in that one second and it becomes so beautiful I think that's just like magical. And I think because I have been doing live TV and live events and live productions for so long, that it even fascinates me how I have my own hacks of things that I do. That also like gives me the thrill. Someone said to me, you are always chasing the next It's a Rep. <laughs> And then you become so tired. But I really think that it is so beautiful to give people that experience. And I think I'm addicted to the sensory experience and the emotional therapy that comes from doing it and like seeing the people receiving it and and being able to get that like sensory experience from it. It's just like beautiful.
0: So then now give me like a context so that we have like a good understanding of stakes. Give me like one of your favorite live moments and then one of your worst live moments or one of the the live moments where <gasps> you were like ha I I don't know how we got through this one or we didn't get through this one
1: I have so many and the one that's coming into my mind is going to blast someone
0: oh my god oh my <laughs> I feel like I know the worst one
1: the worst one, my worst life. There was a show that I did for WTF where I was supposed to have Naomi Campbell and Tua Savage, and they cancelled us it. But I don't think that's even my worst one. I think my worst one was a show that I did for WTF again, where we had invited Tibotash as a guest. And he arrived late. He arrived while the show was going on air, I think on the second segment of the show. And I was waiting in the control room. He was being a diva, basically. Many demands, waiting for his outfit that seemed to take forever. The show had two guests for an hour. So I was trying to like use that one guest up until Thibautas decides to eventually come onto the interview. And out of nowhere... I didn't even get the message that he's arrived and his outfit arrived. I just saw him on the frame, just walking towards the set and just like sitting down, basically chewing himself in. And then Wait, so he, like he, he, he walked like in questions. like
0: live as in whilst you're on the air and everything.
1: Yeah. Obviously, as a producer, you want to find creative ways to then bring in the guest who is late. Because obviously now, I think I was left with like 15 minutes off the show. And at this point, I was even thinking that maybe he's not even going to do this interview. I had given up. And all of a sudden he just, all of us in the control just see him walking in. More than anything, he didn't like, like, one of the first few questions that we asked him on the show. And it became a fight to a point where he was threatening one of my talent on air. I had nothing in me, in my pockets, to sort of, like, save the situation. But um, I've had so many, like, worst but live then- moments. I did The Feathers last, last year, and 10 minutes into the live show of a three-hour award show, our comms went dead like literally within the 10 minutes of the broadcast. So as a show runner and a show caller where I'm directing not only what's happening on stage, I'm directing what's happening on, in the control room as well yeah. as cameras, as well as everyone who's coming on the stage, the talent, the dancers, I had to physically do it myself and do those cues physically myself because
0: no one could hear me. For context, when you speak about a control room, for those of you who don't know like television production, that's where the director, the vision mixer. So like you know and the, the the angles are like changing within different cameras and all that type of stuff. The control room is where those decisions are then made to then say, okay, now we're cutting to camera three to get this shot. Yes. Okay, yes. now camera uh, or
1: like the next exit of standby. Yes. Uh, um, You know, like you need to chew that or you need to chew in a video. You...
0: Yeah, the control room is essentially where it's controlled. So if yes, <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. So yes.
0: if there's no uh, comms from the control room, it just sounds like mayhem.
1: Like literally everyone is just praying, saying, God, take the will. And you know, like I was for me, it's the precision. A live production that is done by me, you know it by precision. Not a second later, not a second earlier. When the presenter says, and now, roll that video, it comes now. So when you don't have comms, it's almost as if like now everyone has to trust each other. And that was a work of trust. And I'm so glad to say not even one cue was missed. I was online, <laughs> literally, <laughs> running from backstage to the front of house of Market Theatre, running from House of uh, 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 front of house to like control room, going back to backstage, Cueing dancers, after I cue dancers, I go to the next cue, you know? But again, that's the beauty of the creative process and the beauty of, like, live productions as well. Being able to give people that um, visual sort of, like, first, but, like, they lose themselves without knowing how it came about. They just see it happening. And the best live experience for me was when we had Duduzani Zuma on Training SA. And the minute we announced it on social media, we trended before the show was even going live it caused really polarizing views on social media people were able to cancel as before even understanding why we have this person the premise of the interview because he is such a controversial figure in politics and in pop culture and i just remember that everyone was anxious we started getting calls from the sapc bosses and the executives from sapc just like say what are you doing They are canceling us before we even go there. I was so scared that like this interview is going to go on. I know cancel culture is a real thing. I'm going to need to SAPC to trust in me for this one. I was fighting with my presenters as we're about to go on air because they were just like, we're not doing this because already people are not receiving it for the fact that we're giving this person a time. But I was like, but we know the premise. We know the premise of this thing and we know what it speaks to. And I think it was my highlight because by the end of that show, the following day, I woke up and all the major publications in South Africa from your Sunday Times to like even like law society magazines were referencing that interview. So many magazines and so many publications and so many news outlets had used that interview to repurpose that content and like do their own pieces. And that was such a cool moment because sometimes in this industry, it's hard to measure what fulfills you or what becomes your win besides taking your show to air for eight minutes it's a rep but for me it just showed impact because also like training essay is a show about social media news so when the show itself becomes the news i don't think there is anything better than that for me
0: So instead of saying adrenaline junkie, you like high risk, high reward type of settings.
1: Absolutely. You put it so well.
0: But then with that type of relationship, what is the process for, for example, that people touch interview or the ones which go completely wrong? Since it's live, you have no way of stopping anything. Right. So then how do you actually get? over those types of events as they go through. I
1: think with live talk or live hybrids of some sort, it just works with trust. For example, I mean, as a creative lead, everyone who's worked with me knows that like, I live with empathy. I lead with empathy because I also understand from my experiences that my creative energy is so special to me and it's almost like an extension of my core. So I love creating creative rooms and creative spaces where everyone, first and foremost, knows that they are available in whatever capacity that they are coming in, whether you're a production assistant or you are the digital producer. And what I've found over the years is that when you create such spaces, people become empowered in their skill. And they become confident in what they bring to the table. But also, they become confident with their ideas, with how they invest themselves in taking ownership of the actual asset that we are producing. I love creating safe collaborative spaces where we can trust in one vision. And when you bind that vision, everyone is then able to bring their best selves. That even when things go wrong, we're able to come to solutions quicker. Because if I trust you as a digital producer to do your job, if a that comes from your side, you already are empowered. Enough to come solution right now that is independent of me as the leader um, yeah. or that is more collaborative in that moment because we just get each other and you know there is no like right or wrong way of doing things there's only the extravaganza eleganza of doing things you know but also letting moments go because I am a person who has so many systems in place. I don't do any production that does not have an an SOP. I personally, before I start doing anything.
0: What is an SOP for those who do not know? Standard
1: operating procedures. That would be the document where I outline everything from like how we are going to work to what is our daily run order to How do we approach episodic outlines? This is the day-to-day sort of like procedures of how we approach this thing on a daily basis. What are our own editorial guidelines for our creative room? Because when... We are doing the show. No one is asking. So how do we do that? You know, everyone just knows that this is how we do things here. So it's easier to let go of those bad moments because you are able to be at peace with the fact that it was beyond your control because you were so prepared. By the time the show goes on air, I am able to fully surrender to the process because I know I have done everything within my power. And I I encourage everyone to have debrief methods because... um, Also, for a person like me who has done like sort of like daily life shows, you have to find debriefing methods. Otherwise, you go crazy.
0: I get that even when you're doing theater work, you also sometimes are told to get like debrief methods so that when you do it again, you're not holding what was there before. It's just it's a brand new. So at the beginning of this, I had called you the queen of formats. Right. So now I want to move into more understanding more about. Not just like the live aspect and the TV show, but more of the back end of it, right? So can you give us a scope of the different types of, not necessarily formats, but ways shows or approach from like a different, for example, like standard commission to brand work and or licensing products and inform how it is that you can approach content when you're doing your type of line of work?
1: The evolution of my career has just been so interesting. It's as if I have had to intentionally evolve with the trends of the business myself, you know. At the very moment, I am servicing different clients that are doing content for different platforms and different business models. I think it's a space that is new for me that I am still also just trying to navigate. For example, I'm currently working for a company called Talks Media, where I am consulting as a format developer and content developer. What I'm doing is starting a digital content hub within a company that is a production company that then exploits this content for printed content as well as digitally skewed broadcast content. At the same time, I am still doing format development and format design for commissions for different clients and there is the other side of it where one of my clients is kind of doing a licensing deal where I am formatting the creative concepts which is a tv show and we are shooting it using his own capital and it's then going to be explored and exploited for licensing deals for different sort of like mediums whether it's tv or content aggregators that live online so I really think that the business models of our industry has sort of opened up and are now diverse and that's because all the channels or broadcasters are really fighting for available audience. Yeah. There is no such thing now as like appointment viewing per se because everyone, first of all, is a content creator whether you are a lawyer or you are a CA or a journalist, everyone is a content creator. The fact that our industry has grown so much in such a rapid period of time, it has made all the networks fight for that available audience. Whereas in the beginning, when everyone knew that at eight o'clock we are all watching generations and it's become like a family tradition. Now, all broadcasters are desperate for eyeballs. So, I'm really, really, really just trying to put my fit in and really solidify sort of myself as that multimedia producer who can be able to service all of his clients whether they want my services as a licensed asset where we package and we shoot the concept ourselves or it's an afp where it's collaborating brand partners that come on board to put the show on tv like expresso and other shows or it is a commission where we respond to a call from a broadcaster and we put that show on air right now for any person who is in our space it is the right time to sort of like diversify the business model of how they get to engage with content for different platforms and for different models
0: so on your end since you've been dealing with afps licensing and commissioned have you found that there's a difference in creative
1: control
0: switching between the three absolutely
1: there is just so much difference for me when you get a brand partner to join a premise of the show that already exists that already has its own dna as well as editorial Our job is to find creative ways to then plug in the brand without making it feel like a very big sort of like advertorial. But like, that's not how it always works, you know, because a lot of these brand partners, when they plug themselves onto shows, it's usually an extension of their marketing tactics. It's either they want to promote brand awareness or they're introducing a new product. They have their own sort of KPAs that they are trying to achieve by plugging their brand onto the show. When it comes to like creative control, that's where I always feel like contention comes in. You don't want to make your viewer feel like they signed up for a very long advert. And sometimes brand partners don't really understand that. They just want to see their logo. They just want their presenters to just say their brand name over and over again. That's how they feel like. But what makes these new ways of doing TV and the hybrids of content within linear TV is how you can trick a viewer to buy into the product without making them feel like they are being bombarded and it's usually a collaboration because these brand partners already have creative agencies that they hire to handle their creatives for their companies and stuff and there's always that like pull between the creative agency and the team production house because we have our own ways of approaching our content how we develop the premise of the show and we've got editorial explanations as well to our viewers when you watch an essay a viewer knows what is a promise you are promising me to tell me what's the biggest story of the, the And what do you think about it, you know? Yeah. So you always have to like navigate those differences routine How far do you give the brand partner the creative control Versus them creatively crafting themselves into what makes this show what it is already But it's always, always a compromise
0: So from what I'm then understanding is AFPs are where there is I don't use the word limited, but the creative control then kind of depends on your relationship that you have with said brand.
1: Yes. And what they are trying to achieve with this brand plugins, you know?
0: Yes. And then when you're doing yeah. just a straight-up commission, it's as long as you're fitting within what the brand of the channel that you're currently working for is. So if you're an SABC1, yes. you're speaking to youth. Whereas if you're an SABC3, you're speaking to middle class or this types of families, ABCD. Yeah,
1: B, with commissions, more than anything, they want to make sure that you are speaking to the direct direction of that channel. But more than anything, for me, I love responding to what is the DNA of the show? What is the show? Is it a gossip show? An informative show? And I always say that if you can't say the premise of the show in three sentences, then you still don't know what the show is about, you know, because I really just believe in first and foremost, deliver to the premise of the show. Yeah, Trending essay is a show that takes social media news and trending topics and turn them into bigger conversations. First and foremost, deliver onto that. And then factors like audience profile, who are you speaking to, why is this relevant, what do you leave your audience with. But when it comes to commissions, that's why commission editors are seen as the producers, in, in the commas, of the channel. Because they're only there to guide you to make sure that you are delivering
0: within the guidelines of what the channel Within the is. guidelines
1: of like the channel direction, their editorial, what they want out of the show where is it sitting the time in which it's playing who is watching that time so that and... they're not
0: getting hit by the bccsa yes
1: yes yes <laughs> and i mean all the shows that i've worked for i have written so many bccsa <laughs> responses in my life that like my only regret is not paying attention in my media law class <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there is. <laughs> I have, I have, I have responded to so many. There was a time on training essay, the first training essay that had, I was na babi yeah. I used to get like three business essay reports a week. And then for W T F me, you already know the show was at night. It was at half past ten. It had a jacuzzi where people can just go and like do a segment. It had a jacuzzi wearing nothing but swimsuits. It had a house bar and we're serving real alcohol. So you can just imagine the kind of CSA reports hours. But
0: then for a show like that, shouldn't that shouldn't the rules be more lenient because it's not aired during the day and it's now if it's at ten thirty, you're saying that it's for sixteen and upwards or for this type of market. So then. Or does it still happen because NJ?
1: Yeah, because I think South Africa is very diverse. You can do within the primary target audience, but your religion gets offended by seeing naked people in the jacuzzi while you're watching TV. But a lot of, of the companies that we used to get, like were people who were race-sensitive or people who were sensitive when it comes to like their religions because maybe someone saw on the show and said god out loud and we didn't blur it or an old white person who said their children were, were watching and you, you ask yourself but why why is were the your children
0: watching at the, <laughs>
1: to the show at half past 10 at night you know but yeah that's where things are in the industry at this point
0: Because I know uh, that's why like a lot of people, or at least in some of the conversations I've had, I've understood that even with, it then becomes a lot easier to then navigate that type of thing when you're doing streaming content because the audience has to explicitly press play. If you're you're on Showmax, if you're on Netflix, if you're on this, you have to press play as opposed to when you're on um, broadcast. You're just channel hopping and then you just See this thing that then comes yeah, down Yeah, type of thing.
1: yeah I mean there are other like, techniques that we use As well to sort of like Warn people, disclaimers, the age restrictions And uh, you'll see crawlers You know yes. But like It's just to protect ourselves But I'm never really That much into travel Because I only push the bar When it comes to like Creative ideas And creative elements Where it's just like How are you going to Pull that off How are you going to Put a kushesha Inside the, the studio How are you going to take the whole studio Into <laughs> Into like a protest A silent protest That's where I Push the boundaries But when it comes to Responsible broadcasting I think because I started journalism And I see myself as a journalist, more than anything, I'm usually just really sensitive when it comes to a lot of like editorial dilemmas.
0: Your answer is a, could not have been a better segue into what my next section was, which is about intention <laughs> and not programming. So, exactly. what my question then kind of then folds into is that: Do you think there's enough intention within our productions past chasing trends? and I'm talking about our productions, I'm talking about nonfiction productions. Obviously. No.
1: If there is, then we need more. And I really don't blame us, to be honest, Yelizopo. We are so used to working in environments where going beyond or challenging our creativity is limited because we're already working with tight budgets. We are already working with tight schedules where people are shooting like five episodes a day and like they have to squeeze in, in a season of like 70 episodes within two months. It's it, it, we, we don't have time to like creatively craft things with intentionality. All we can do is like re-report what everyone else is doing. If you go on Twitter so many TV shows and I'm talking about like current affairs shows uh, live talk shows rely on pop culture to sort of like develop their content there is no intentionality there because if one is re-reporting what everyone knows no one has a so what are you saying what is it there for how do you creatively craft that story into a new piece of original work that people can take out of that you know but also one of the things that we need to intentionally adopt is being socially conscious and socially aware as broadcasters and as content creators, especially for talk and pop culture skewed formats where you are dealing with real life issues, human interest stories, pop culture, sort of like topics, whether it's politics, current affairs news, social media news, trending topics. There is a level of social awareness that we need to adopt From the basis of just knowing what is our core role in society as broadcasters and as newsmakers and content creators, what is our role in terms of like shifting mindsets, bringing perspective to things, or even like, um, I said this to you the other day when we were talking about it, uh, that like there are people who are going to always find out what's going to be the next thing in the industry. How is the industry going to move forward, you know? Yeah. So I just still feel like part of what we need to do the most is just incorporating social awareness and social consciousness into our programming so that there is more intentionality and there's more purpose than, you know.
0: So then my question towards that is how much of that responsibility rests on a producer as opposed to the actual channel and network, specifically when we're in a country like South Africa where a majority, and when I say a majority, like 80%, more than 80% of our local productions are commissions so there are technically productions of the channel so from your vantage point how much that responsibility rests on a producer as opposed to the actual channel and bringing forth
1: that intentionality i think it's both hey i think it's both i mean everyone all my clients will tell you i'm known as that producer who is like the julius malema (laughs) I'm like, the my level of producers because, you know, like, I champion myself. And also, I don't like being guest lit by clients, which are like the the, the production houses that I work for. Um, but I also don't want to be guest lit by clients, meaning the broadcasters, my client, whoever is my client uh, from a network or a broadcaster. Because there is this thing of thinking that we can dump everything on, on a producer. They have to guide the creative direction, the editorial direction, the visual aesthetic, the marketing and the viewership, you know? And it's just like, no, no, <laughs> you can't want everything from me. Like, pick one, like, which one do you want me to be, you know? Yeah. And I really think that being a responsible content creator and being a responsible broadcaster is a personal choice. It's almost as if, like, it's, you know, what, what, what do they call it? Uh, incorporate, like, CS, what is it? Corporate CSI. social
0: responsibility. Yes. Yes. CSR, one of the two.
1: Yes, yes. It's almost as if it means to, like, have that kind of sentiment, you know, put see like, What kind of a broadcaster am I going to be? What kind of a filmmaker am I um, I going to be? What kind of a content creator am I going to be? Obviously, it also speaks to the kind of content that you are doing. I hope your audience is following because I only have done sort of like talk shows, current affairs, what everyone is talking about. I always do shows that reflect people's humanities back to themselves, you know, which for me comes with a lot of that responsibility. And I just feel like we need to be able to call each other out. Broadcasters, commissioners need to be able to call out producers from production houses to be like, what are we trying to do here? At the end of this episode, what do we want the viewer to have Taken out of this cotton piece or this artwork. Yes, we want to do programming that has production value and entertainment value, um educational value. And all of those things, three things, can coexist. Or one thing can be a thing. But I think there can be more intentionality from both sides, broadcasters, to come up with programming that is more intentional, so that we can respond like that but also when we get the briefs and responding to tv shows and stuff bring in that aspect of at the end of the day what am i leaving the viewer with it can be like a social responsibility it can be a mind shift things it can be a behavioral change an escapism but i just believe that we do need to put more intentionality in programming in general you look at how McGee's podcast has caused such polarizing views in just like what is the responsible way of doing things? And like my answer is always the same thing. Just like how when you are a taxi driver, your responsibility is to get people safe to their destinations. When you're a teacher, everyone has a responsibility. We also have a responsibility. And because we are an industry that has so much influence in terms of like reach, a lot of people watch TV to either gain new perspective or know something else that they didn't know about themselves or unlearn. It's such a big part of our jobs to shift mindsets and behaviors and like mirror how society is moving, but also dictate how society is going to move, you know, and how it's going to shift. I don't think that responsibility needs to be taken for granted. I surely don't.
0: So now let's move back to you, right? You've done a lot of different formats. And if we're looking in the in the future... What is the dream format that you haven't done yet that you're just dying to do?
1: Um, a reality dating show.
0: You know this,
1: actually, you know this, you know this. I said to you, let's format one together. Let's <laughs> talk about call, like uh like a hybrid of temptation island, love island, married at first sight, as well as too hard to handle. Like, oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna have it, yes. I'm gonna have it. I think that's the one format that I would love to do. Uh, at some point, I was thinking that like I would never want to do one of my own because it means that I would not have anything that I enjoy watching on TV because I don't watch a lot of things without being stimulated to be like, oh my gosh, this like sparks a creative idea for another thing that I'm designing. That's my life. When I'm watching a piece of content, it doesn't matter where. It always just like sparks an idea. something i'm working on or it gives me vocabulary to go like write something else or it gives me like an idea to like develop a game for the other one that i'm doing you know and um re shows are one format that i can actually watch and not like feel like it's making me feel like oh my god i need to start writing i need to you know i just enjoy for my own escapism, but uh I have come to realize that I'm lying to myself. I would love to have my own one day. And I think one day I'm just going to write it and just have it there.
0: I, I, I can also see it at least within this current state of broadcasting that we're in. But now, to yeah. s- what are some of the thoughts that you'd kind of like to leave and where you would like the industry to go in the way that we produce and craft our content?
1: The first one we've already spoken about is intention. There are so many times in my career that I have had to ask myself, what kind of a producer do I want to be? It has paid off because I think in me trying to answer that question, I was subconsciously crafting my artistic voice and i think for aspiring tv producers especially it is to say that spend time being intentional about what kind of a producer kind creator do you want to be um what is your artistic voice what is that one thing that will separate you from the rest and it's not a what am i gonna how can i put it
0: uh, Makes you.
1: you. from yes 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 but the second thing is that I wish I was told much more earlier in my career that personal branding is not for just like on-screen talent. Personal branding is also for behind-the-scenes talent like us, you know. It's taken me a very long time to sort of like define my own business practices as to how do I engage with clients for different kinds of services, whether they want me to do a format Bible for a new show or they want me to be a series producer or they want me to be a consulting producer. Or, you know, you just have to figure that thing out earlier and not be apologetic about how you do your own personal branding and how you define your business practices so that when you show up in your room you have a lot of things that are backing you up and you are able to champion yourself i really actually don't believe that our industry or like people who work behind the scenes i feel like we have made peace which is so sad with the fact that like we can be okay with just Getting enough for what we do, you know, and I think we deserve so much better. Because we have a really our,
0: hard workers, amazing. We are <laughs>
1: are hard workers and I think people take advantage of that because they know that our work is so personal to us and we'll always go above and beyond with small budgets hard working environments and now I am really really I'm working as a consultant for now I'm servicing two big production houses as their consulting creative producer slash format developer and I wish I had known much more earlier how to craft my business practices how I engage how I brand and package myself as a business and I'd really just like to encourage all the young creatives sort of start doing that thing now yes there will always be people who will not like see themselves as like business people or see their skills as like a business who will always want to be employed because not everyone can be a business but in terms of just taking your own craft seriously and championing for yourself how you show up for negotiations how you show up for your work just like crafting yourself as a package that can be sellable wherever you go we hear so many stories about how people are in between contracts and when they're in between contracts they lose their stuff and and, and 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 you know it, it's just so disheartening and I just it's in my heart to always encourage young creatives to take their art seriously but more than taking their art seriously the business side of it, it needs to be packaged properly. You need to take yourself seriously. When we speak about
0: business practices, it's very hard as someone who doesn't know where to go to actually figure out where to look, right? So for you, when you were going on that journey, were there any tools that you found online or even in any places that helped you then define how to then shape that side of yourself
1: for me honestly i think i was sort of like forced to take that part of it seriously in 2019 i decided that i was done with being employed i started my own content solutions boutique company called black rose factory which was amazing we had a content hub magazine that we're doing that was online it was beautiful the kinds of content that we're doing servicing different kinds of clients whether it's social media content creation or awards or um, two productions it was beautiful for that year up until I got into a very, very, very bad contract that sort of like stripped everything away from me and I could not recover from it. And in hindsight now, when the business was failing, I was caught up in victim mode. I was like, oh my God, you know, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I felt, But in hindsight, I was just like, the only thing that made me that made the company not work out at that time was because i was not equipped enough for the business side of things and it's something that i am now starting to consciously work on as i am setting up my consultancy in a and even my consultancy now is road to trying to go back to my company again you know and for me, that bad contract was bad in so many ways that I could not recover from it because you don't know how to do the pricing for services that you are rendering. You don't know what to consider when you are doing those things. You don't know how to protect yourself. In trying to rebuild from that, um, like you said, I just had to get a lot of help and understand that actually I don't know everything and it's okay for me to like, seek help. There is a company a startup company called Credible. Everyone Google it. I'm not going to do a free promo here. They have sort of like also helped me with with that side of things, managing my business portfolio so I can just have a peace of mind in terms of the business side of things can be taken care of, the practices, the invoices, making sure that I have the right, what are they called, um, service level agreements and contracts and I can have peace of mind to just Show up confident with my skill of creative, whether I create a creative producer or for my designer, without having to worry about am I short sighting myself? Am I gonna get paid on time? And 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 and. But also. For me, it's also just like taking initiative as well. I have so many short courses that you can take online just to empower yourself with the things that you don't think you are good at as a creative. So many podcasts you listen to on everything. It's just a matter of like really actively being an active participant in designing those business practices that protect you. Uh, but also make sure that you are paid properly and then you're enumerated properly for your efforts. And, and I had to sort of like be intentional about solidifying what that means. So I guess in a practical sense, I'm just saying that people need to be just intentional about how they craft their skill sets, but also realize where you need to upscale and get help and get more information and sign up on short courses and collaborate with more people to like help you get there.
0: So I would also then add to that um, because it was actually going to be the final part in terms of Black Rose and how that's going to come back. But on our end, um, part of what's helped us a lot, even just in contracting, is not necessarily us going through the contracts because there's a situation where I got a contract, I went through it, I said these are all the things that I found wrong with it. But then I went to a lawyer friend and they found like 10 other things that as much as I had read everything and I felt like I had seen all the loopholes, they said, no, but this phrasing here, does this A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. So if you're not paying attention to one, two, three, four, five, then as much as you you think you're covering this element, you can't. So as creatives, um, I think, it also then starts to warrant that if we then start making profits or start building things, that we then also need to make sure that our teams that we're building for ourselves as executives include accountants, include lawyers, because these are things which we ca- we cannot do ourselves unless it's something which we actually have practiced and trying to do ourselves and trying to find shortcuts and back roads into doing them often then finds you paying more than what you would have had you just gotten that consultancy at the beginning and it's or not-, not
1: get paid at all, which is what happened to me. Yes. Got a big contract to do a TV show through an agency, stopped everything in my company at that time, got all my staff and myself traveling around the country trying to put on this thing. But the contracts that I had gotten into was not protecting me um, should anything happen. And guess what? I never got paid and I was not protected and I couldn't pay my staff, I couldn't pay my office, I was doubted out basically just from one bad contract that I could have taken to a lawyer friend, like you're saying, or get a mentor to like look at and make sure that I am covered and and, and and I just feel like those are the things that we really overlook. And sometimes people overlook those things because sometimes maybe people are desperate, you know, like sometimes you just wanna, you know, do mm-hmm. work and
0: eat. And it looks expensive in your mind and it is expensive, but the the other side of it is even more expensive once you then go through the other side to then say, hey, um, I did this film and if I'd put in um, a lawyer's fee for this, I would have gotten A, B, C, D. But now because I signed this contract, I've not made any profit from it at all because of all the ways this contract was broken, but I had no way to fight it, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. So the more we have that starting to be within our actual business practices, I think that the easier then becomes for us to negotiate better. Because even when you come to a place and you have a lawyer, the the, the, the people you're dealing with immediately will also treat, treat you di- differently because they then know already those things that they throw in um to keep you in a binding contract the lawyer will immediately pick up and now it just becomes a completely different type of conversation to have where you're now saying this is what we offer or this is what we want to do and you can now start speaking in good faith because our industry is not as much as we 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 think it's a good faith (laughs) it's not a good faith industry there's a very not a good faith
1: industry you know i was actually talking to my partner you know I'm starting to get into client um, engagements where, oh my God, okay, I'm starting to get into client engagements uh, because remember I I had told you that like now I am into developing and formatting most of the clients that I'm servicing more from a development and format perspective, you know, even though some of those formats they end up going on air as me as a, as a consulting producer but some of them I just leave them just after I formatted them and I hand over I get paid so like I'm, I'm starting to engage with equity kind of chats because my intellectual property is involved and I am coming up with the creative costs I'm developing them the bibles are mine I'm starting to engage with clients where they are offering me equity in IP or producer's fee. And and, and, and and I mean, I didn't even know what is IP equity up until it was offered to me. You know, <laughs> it is just so sad. So I had to look for help so that I can be able to identify opportunities where I can be able to exploit my own IP within negotiations of what i'm doing whether the thing is going to be exploited in the future and could possibly make 10 million while i got paid 50k to just like format the bible yeah. um, and that was my short sort of like sighted mindness whereas like when you get an international pro- pro- property lawyer they're able to reflect out those things to you that um this kind idea that you are formatting and designing your client is doing it for this platform do you know what that means It means that they can get we can exploit it even further and get this much profit. This is what we can do. We can suggest an equity stake. We can suggest an IP fee. We can suggest a usage fee. So I think I was mentioning all of those things because I got bent once. And now I am really cleaning up my business practices. And I am consciously being an active participant in how I move forward and how I brand myself. I don't care right now. I'm all in my bag honey, I don't even care. If you call me a consulting producer or creative producer or a current producer, I don't care about the titles. All I want is my money to be compensated (laughs) for what I bring on the table. And that's what I'm interested in. And that's why when you asked me what I wanna leave behind, that was one of the things that I, I highlighted because I wish I had done that sooner. I wish I had done the personal branding and cleaned my business practices and packaged them properly much more sooner I would have been a fucking billionaire now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then now that we have all of this insight of being the queen of formats of having the Black Rose factory, which was the original consulting company and getting burnt, what does this final phase, not final, next phase of see what the black rose look like to you?
1: Black Rose Factory will never go anywhere. It was just a hiccup, honey. And like I said, setting up my consultants, (laughs) setting up my consultants now, like servicing my clients as an independent contractor, the consultants is still at a Black Rose Factory. It's just that I am the only person working at it now. It is exactly that. It is to build enough clientele so that I can be able to feel like I'm empowered enough to open the factory again. You know, I've got so many sort of like. Creative ideas that need to come to life. And I I think that my passion is really in concept development, in being able to do different kinds of content for different platforms. So I really think that, like, that's where I want to be. That's the next phase to solidify the consultancy. I want to be able to, like, do three TV shows, two festivals, one live show, being able to format a social media content plan for a big corporate company and being able to format the podcast for a brand. I want to be able to be a one-stop content solution. And I think one of the things that is very close to my heart as well, and which I get to do with the consultancy at this point, is being able to do the skills transfer. I never realized just how much big I am in doing the skills transfer. Up until my last year training essay, my last sort of like employed job where I realized that I am actually a teacher in my own ways, you know? Oh, you've been, uh, always
0: been. Way. You've always been, even in the way you've I've described never, your I've processes. i thought of
1: myself like that, like as a teacher. But then like when I started getting feedback from my team post-training and where when now they had left to like go to other shows and when they give me the feedback of how they are feeling and like the ways of working, I realized that because I'm such a, like, I said to you, I'm such a systematic person, like if you work with me, We have different templates of so many things, templates for how we're going to do things so that everything falls properly. So, I really want to be able to to get my consultancy in a place where I can be able to ready teams to go on air and put those systems in place, you know, help other teams to, or other companies to form productive, effective, empathetic, responsible, creatively inspired, innovative, creative rooms. I think I do that very well you know yeah. um so I really want to get to a point where I am able to get paid just for that
0: service isn't that what they call a creative doctor to be like a creative doctor essentially yes
1: yes 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 <laughs> if you are listening to this and you need me to come and make sure that it's you and your systems
0: <laughs> listen Hire me. you heard the list of shows she's done she is Queen of formats, extravaganza, la ganza of talk of just understanding how to craft content. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, this has been a very I can't
1: expensive. <laughs> It wasn't bad at all. (laughs) I
0: told you, you had nothing to be nervous about. We were just having a conversation. It's a free-flowing conversation. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I am 150% sure that anyone who's listening to this will get something from it in terms of just understanding more about television formats. I cannot wait to see what it is that you have next because everything that you have done thus far has been amazing and has been inspiring and I don't see it changing anytime soon even when you do make your mistakes it's mistakes which you feel with intentionality and that's even why one of the sections was called intentionality because that's something which you always breathe in everything that you do and that's why I really wanted you on the podcast to kind of explore that element for people in a way that they can understand where our television can grow because I do believe we've only scratched the surface and it's people like you who can then help deepen the surface of what it is that is capable for the south african voice any voice that wants to become a content creator so yeah thank you so much for giving us your time and yeah i shall see you soon <laughs>
1: thank you so much i i don't know why being here gives me like some sense of like importance like i feel like i've achieved so much i remember season one i was like am i getting this email invited <laughs> me to this podcast or <laughs>
0: Okay, I mean, I'll. Oh, sorry.
1: No, yeah, I, I think that, like, your mind is a billion, billion rent mind. Hey, like, the feeling is the same. I literally, when I speak about innovative creativity, you are just one of those people that embody it. Like, whenever I see you announcing a new thing that you're doing, a new product you're doing, I'm just like, people like Yerezo are going to make this industry, like, move forward. Like, our industry is in the same hands. So i am just like i'm blown away i'm so humbled to have i promise you like i am so humbled to have been here and i hope like there was something to take i'm so scared of like people not taking even one thing out of this there's so (laughs) much to take thank you so much
0: that was the 48th episode of all that yes thank you so much for listening if you'd like to reach out to us you can do so by sending an email to all that yes podcast at gmail.com i repeat all that Yaz yes, podcast at gmail.com stay tuned as we'll bring you more insightful episodes of our podcast i'm Yaz from all that Yaz, and thank you so much for listening